0: nick brown he's been the high school projectionist for the av club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened and now they're joining forces ladies and gentlemen rick and nick
1: Doc the teen years we all experience them one way or another why you gotta go somewhere painful right off the bat painful painful really yeah okay that That's was very o- adolescence
0: it's awkward it's zits Can't talk to girls, cracky voice. It
1: can be all of those things anyway. It can also make for very compelling movies. And magical moments. Yes, that's right. And that's what brings us to today's episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, which is open. The Bemidji Theater is open. They are still mostly rolling through some classic movies right now that are back on the big screen But, new releases are starting to hit the screen, even within the next two weeks. There are new releases that are going to be rolling out, so make sure you get a chance to check it out. Uh, Go to the CEC Theater website for CEC Bemidji, and you can check out what the showtimes are looking like. You can go and get your popcorn if you're only comfortable dropping in to pick up some popcorn. If you'd like to catch a movie, though... The Bemidji Theater is open, and it is ready to get rolling and to welcome you back once again. So, See, I'm, um, I'm trying to
0: walk that line, too. I would I yeah. miss movies at the theater so much, but I'm not going to go yet. But I will stop in every so often, and if we're going to do movie night at the house, I will pick up a thing of popcorn and a drink to go and just walk in, get my snack, and walk out. Or, heck, I've my throat's a little dry. I'll just pull in for a soda. Rather than going to the gas station, I'm going to support the theater because, you know, They're not the cheapest pops, but that's how they make their money. Correct. I can support them. I can get that whistle wetted and move on and go on with my life.
1: Important distinction there, right? That that's how the theater makes their money, and and that's how they make the income that they get there. So good thing to keep in mind, too, that 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 supports the local theater here. So Bemidji Theater, pleased to have them as a sponsor of this podcast. And They've got new releases that are coming soon, and that's that's some of the news of the day, Dave. We have waited months for this. We've it, it's been in stop and go kind of, kind of fashion, and even now Pretty there's much a little stop. trepidation of okay, it looks like maybe this time it's going to be true. But we just had Unhinged, that new Russell Crowe movie, get officially released here this past weekend tenant is coming next week uh, well, is when, is depending on where you are you. it's already out some yes. it's
0: going to kind of have a staggered release so in some countries did pretty well i heard in south korea okay i think australia's got it too and some other countries and it's as as conditions warrant it's starting to come out i would think new zealand would have it because they seem to be the best case worldwide with the
1: pandemic so we'll see Right, so it is getting some run and some release elsewhere. It looks like it is going to be hitting North America next week, though, and, and it looks like it's it's full speed ahead on that at this point. Again, we've we've been having to kind of keep an eye out to make sure that these things are, are cleared to go, but we're starting to hit that point where, where releases are getting back on the screen. New Mutants, I believe this week, this is the week for New Mutants, that that's going to be hitting the screen, which... In multiple respects, it's amazing that we've gotten here with New Mutants because of how long of a wait it has been for that movie. Didn't they and how film many it three
0: t- years ago or yeah, something like that? Yeah, they've kicked
1: that movie back I don't know how many times. Will it actually be worth it? We'll find out starting this week.
0: We'll see, yeah, we'll see. I, I, it's like when January, February used to be the dumping grounds for movies. Well, we don't think this is going to do well. Most people have blown their cash on Christmas. We'll release it in January to ensure nobody sees this movie that's not any good. I have a feeling, yes, New Mutants, it's it's uh, clearly plagued with issues. Let's drop it in the middle of the pandemic so nobody can see it and we can just get it over with. Is seeming to be what a lot of people are prepared for. I, right. I hope good things for it. I really do. But I think too many cooks and a lot of other issues.
1: As far as Tenet goes, reviews have been very good yep. so far. I mean, not, not like earth-shattering, but... Very good, and the the thought is this is, again, a, a classic Christopher Nolan movie of you're going to get a puzzle to solve within the movie, and it's the kind of thing that is worth seeing on a big canvas.
0: Yeah, I want to stay ignorant about it. The reviews that I do trust that I like to read, I'll read the first paragraph and the last paragraph, right. and that's it. So i I don't know that much about it, and that's intentional. When I'm able to see it and I want to see it on the big screen – but I'm not going to go this week either. So uh, we'll see what happens and when I'm able to see it and how I'm able to see it, but uh, I'm looking very forward. Have been since, I think, oh, Christmas yeah. time last year. You knew it was coming. You yes. went, all right, I want to see this. And now he's kind of out and you're kind of – Grounded, you can't see it.
1: But the good news, though, it looks like we've got something really good to look forward to. Yeah, I
0: got a lot of stuff to look forward to. I mean, think about what was coming out this summer. We missed a James Bond movie. We missed Top Gun Maverick. We missed Wonder Woman 1984, Tenet, and others that we really, really wanted to see. There was going to be a new Halloween movie this Halloween that isn't coming out now. New trailer
1: just came out for Wonder Woman 1984. As well, the trailer yet. We've got that too to look to as well. Um, depending on how much you like to watch trailers or not. I'm I'm trying to become more selective about how often I watch a trailer. Like the new Tenet trailer just came out last week, like the final trailer ahead of the movie, and I was like, not going to touch it. Yeah. Not going to touch it. Watch
0: the teaser and maybe the first trailer and leave it alone because after yeah. that, well, we got to get something new, and oftentimes it's something that shouldn't happen. I would think a guy like Nolan who's got a little more control over and clout over his final product – I've seen people with trailers that have got footage clearly shot just for the sake of it being a trailer. Sometimes you get something like Rogue One where they did so much of a reshoot that stuff that was in the trailer doesn't make it. Correct. To me, that's fine. That's great because it kind of throws you off. How many people nowadays absolutely dissect the trailers and you know Way you get often. clues as to what's going to happen? So the surprise during a movie is is diminished.
1: Yes, and I think filmmakers and, and their – companies that are putting these movies out, they are starting to be more aware of that and alerted to that, which is good, because I think they're starting to get more selective in what do we show, what do we reveal, same with plot details too. they're they're getting better with that.
0: I would spend some budget money on some of the primary photography and you get the two soldiers or whatever diving from explosions and mortars and they duck into the whatever and then they start talking to one another okay we're going to run over here. Why am I going to run over here? This is just the trailer. This isn't the actual movie. I don't want to blow myself away just for the trailer. Well then you're going to have to come back on May 4th and watch this for real but when we do because something like that would be fun. It makes you want to watch the movie. Well as long as it's not deceptive that's the only thing. It's not about being Deceptive. It's about, um, like, Million Dollar Baby, for example. Now that we want to go down the rabbit hole of trailers, we'll just do this one point and move on. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, everyone thought it was about boxing. And it is right up until it becomes about paralysis and, you know, life choices. And it, you didn't know that was coming. Was that deceptive? No, because everything it promised to deliver, it did. Right. And then it took another step. But it doesn't matter
1: if it's deceptive or not. Do you want to see the movie? You see- know, same thing about a uh, big spoiler from Creed, yeah. in particular. In the trailer, you don't necessarily know that Rocky is dealing with cancer. Yeah, well, I know? mean that's
0: a minor point. You just know he's in the movie and he's going to continue to train. And right. You didn't know that Mickey was going to die in Rocky Three, right? But it it is what it is. I don't, you know, I, I, you, you can make the argument about deceptive trailers. I don't. Subscribe to that. If it's something that makes me, ooh, I want to, oh, look at, the, oh, I can't wait to, then he's done its job. And if the movie turns out to be something that is very different, that's its own thing. But like we talked about my movie Sneakers, watch the trailer on YouTube. It's out there. And you know it, it makes it look like it's an espionage movie. It makes it look like it's a real hard, fast-paced thriller. It isn't. It's not really representative of the movie at all. and They didn't really market the movie well, and it didn't really make people want to watch it. But then when they did, they're like, what a great movie. So you you need to come up with a movie trailer that's going to work for the movie, make people want to watch it. I don't care if it's deceptive or not, but I mean, it should represent what the movie is going to be about.
1: Really, really, really quick. Did you hear about or get to see the teaser for The Batman?
0: Yes, I did, and the funny part
1: is... They only have like 25% of the film done.
0: Yeah, and they made such a good trailer out of just barely any of it shot. They haven't even finished filming it yet. That's right. And they're going to be doing that here hopefully before the end of the year because it's coming out some point next year, and at this point, what does the date matter? You know, Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It'll come out when it comes out. I think all it
1: it was served to do was to whet the appetite. I think that was essentially... Mission accomplished. Yeah, since they've had to put a stop to production during the coronavirus. This was simply to whet the appetite for fans a little bit and get a look at what this looks like. I mean, it was a it was kind of a piecemeal trailer in some ways, but you get a sense of what Robert Pattinson's idea of the Batman is going to be and what this new iteration is that they are coming up with. Uh, and putting together. And they had some pretty good snippets that, that they were able to get in there, some stuff that gets you genuinely excited. And if that's 25% of the footage,
0: imagine what's yet to come that they haven't even filmed yet. And this is not an origin story from apparently it's more like, a, it'd be like Batman year one. It's more like Batman year two. He's already established. You're not going to see him become Batman for the first time. But he's still a vigilante, and the people of Gotham haven't embraced him yet. They're not sure what to make of him yet. You know, he's, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? He's already established. It's kind of like the first, you know, the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton yes, Batman. I was just thinking He's that. still a bad guy, sort of speak, as far as law enforcement is concerned, you know, but he's really not. That kind of thing. So it looks good. You're starting to get the first look of, you know, it's more like an origin story of some of the bad guys. You're going to see the early Selena Kyles and the early Edward Nigma, You know, the Riddler seems to be yes. one of the big main guys here. Jeffrey
1: Wright as uh, as um, Jim Gordon. I like
0: Gordon. that too. Yeah, not commissioner now, he probably be like sergeant Gordon. That's why something. I said Jim Gordon. I wasn't sure yeah. which
1: distinction he would have at this point w- and wherever Gordon. the timeline is. Yeah. P-
0: Waterboy Gordon. It, yeah, it looks really good. It does. It definitely whetted my appetite.
1: Their version of Gotham it looks like is a little bit closer to the gothic Gotham of Tim Burton's style. Of, of how things are interpreted there. That's how that's the sense I got. Another thing people pointed out along those lines, the trailer was very dark. Yeah. Literally. It yeah. was very dark. <laughs> well it
0: is the dark night, but you know it's it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. Black and red really seem to be the colors here. Yeah. And uh very muddled. And that was you know, say what you want about Tim Burton's nineteen eighty nine Batman. This was also a very dark movie. I mean literally it was dark. They needed to bring up the 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 tone of the movie, um, just visually, because you couldn't, you literally could not see some of what was going on. So they had to make some adjustments. They had to make adjustments to Bane's voice in The Dark Knight Rises. They might need to make an adjustment with this when it's done. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. it's coming so, out twenty twenty one at some point. They've so. gotten us interested at least, yeah. though. That's but that's that's what you want. You want to be oh, I can't wait to see it. I and mean, once you get your first look, you want to continue to see it rather than eh. Yeah. And I've had that, too. I wanted to see Alien 3 so bad. And then after Aliens, who wouldn't want
1: to? Then you see the trailer, and you're like, eh. So I was reading an entertainment website the other day, Dave, called The Ringer uh, that I sometimes read from. And it's sports and entertainment. And they've been doing some different brackets for movie genres at different times. Well, they wanted to get into a teen movie bracket. And and go through a slew of sixty four teen movies or loosely connected movies that you could call teen movies, which I think is also some important. of them are
0: definitely one foot in one foot out of the yes, teen genre,
1: but close enough to maybe pull it into the genre. And that got me thinking about the genre a little bit and just what a what a treasure trove it is of of, of various kinds of movies. And yet you could expand beyond the teen movie genre and include. Coming of age, just in general, whether it's younger or even a little bit older, sometimes getting into college. Um, there's that whole genre and that whole area of movies. You kind of run the risk of what are you going to get out of young actors at that point? You know, when you're trying to get kids who are going to be able to fill out those um, those roles. Often it's older kids who can play the roles of younger people in the movie itself but you run the risk sometimes of what are you going to get out of this especially as you go younger you know with children and whatever they bring to the table uh with these movies but you get at the same time some really compelling movies that can tell tales of our lives essentially and what it's like at that stage in life
0: yeah it's uh sometimes it works out i was watching not that long ago close encounters of the third kind you got the little boy Gary, Gary Guffey, I think, was the actor's name. And it was the only movie he ever did. But at the time that he filmed the movie, he's about four, I would guess. Looks a lot like my kiddo at the time. So every now and again, I'll be sitting around the house, and I'm looking at my kiddo doing something, and he reminds me of the little boy from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And then I want to pull the shades down and keep the aliens away without, without scaring him. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes you get kid actors that are, you know, they're kid actors. You know, some that are, eh. And then you get things like Stranger Things. When I mean, the first season, they were all what eight, something like that, roughly, maybe ten, and they rocked it. They, I mean, did. they just they brought it every single one of them. So it can be a mixed bag. But when you get the Henry Thomas of E.T., that's definitely a coming of age movie. Or you get the twenty three year olds posing as seventeen year olds in Saturday detention with a Breakfast Club. It's it can be hit or miss or iconic.
1: It can. Yeah. When you run younger, I think that's where some of the risk is. But you can still have good movies that get produced out of that or good shows like you talked about with Stranger Things, E.T. You mentioned Super 8 to me a little bit when we were talking about this this podcast episode today, another one where, where the kids are very good in that movie. Here's one I don't know if you've ever seen. Have you ever seen the movie A Little Romance? Diane no. Lane's first movie? Uh, I don't think I've even heard of it. Late 70s. It's a really good movie. It's got um, Laurence Olivier in in one of his later film roles. He's this um, this pickpocket who becomes like this, uh, this mentor and grandfather type to these two kids. One who's studying in France, who's from the U.S., and another this boy from France. Um, he, I forget his name, but it's his only film role. He plays this boy, Danielle. And then uh, the girl Lauren is played by Diane Lane. They they have kind of like this this kids romance essentially, where they fall in love with each other, and they want to run away to this bridge where they they hear this legend from. Um, the pickpocket Lawrence Olivier, who tells them that if you if you take a gondola under a bridge there and you kiss at sunset, you'll be in love with each other for forever. So it's just kind. Of, it's just this really charming that's, that's movie sweet. of them running off to to try to do that, and their parents chasing after them, and all and all this stuff, and how they try to accomplish getting there. Um, but also all that that comes with it too. So sometimes you get home runs with that. Sometimes not so much. But coming of age does seem to produce some really some stories that can really resonate with people of I had an experience like that or I I kind of know what that's like at that age teen movies especially because there's so much upheaval at that time um and you can you can get a wide gamut of possible movies that come from that
0: you know so it's hard to put a real finger on the issues that teens face even though most of us at some point in our past when we went through those years We can identify with it. We can know what it is to feel it. Okay, now describe it and capture it on film. Uh, You know, how do you do that? But then you get the John Hughes of the world that seemed to have really been able to put his finger on the pulse. I mean, here he is writing a movie like 16 Candles where he really put, you know, not just teenage angst, but teenage girl angst, who everyone apparently forgot her 16th birthday and how, at a time where you feel so marginalized and minimalized just because you are a teenager. And now it's your big day where you get to finally climb on top and you don't because nobody apparently remembered, but at the end it all becomes memorable. How does a guy like John Hughes capture that? But he did, and it spoke to generations, whether it was the Breakfast Club or the others, it was I mean, he nailed it, you know, from the from the more dramatic and dramatic to something just more outright and funny like Ferris Bueller. It is, he seemed to corner the market and movies that have come since his time. And it was really a flash in the pan. By the mid-90s, John Hughes was done, more or less. But I mean, what an impact he made and everything that has come since. Even things like Superbad have definitely taken a page from what he's done. So whether it's something comedy or dramatic or some combination thereof, a dramedy, Boy, we got some great teen angst movies and pining, and they know how to pine these teens. And I can remember back.
1: Yeah. I can um, before we get into John Hughes, I think it's worth going back decades, even before sure. John Hughes, a little bit, because with a lot of movies in the 30s and 40s, you're not doing a lot of teen films or even children's films. Kids, kids were part of the movies in that time, but they they either had bit roles or you had to kind of be a special case, it essentially. Was, you know, from pop culture,
0: the teenagers, so to speak, wasn't created until rock and roll, and that was the 50s. Yeah. And that's when the the teenagers, I mean, obviously we had teens before that, but yes, mother, yes, father. They were they were little darlings. It wasn't until the 50s, really, when rock and roll came along, the teenagers became their own thing. And ever since, you know, so rock and roll, it goes as far back as the teens do. Yeah. So teens don't go that far
1: back. Well, Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney, they were they were kind of the first some of the first major children movie stars uh, who who were coming through and like their teen experience theirs was more of a you kind of go along on their adventures. Like with the movies that they would do together, it was just, it was kind of a an adventure kind of thing. You know, a little bit of mischief but a lot of fun and they're just kind of floating through life a little bit maybe not necessarily a realistic picture of the teen experience but more of a they're just kind of having fun there happens to be a
0: teenager in the movie the wizard of oz it it, would i call it a teen movie would i call it a coming of age movie not really i mean i can't say that there's not elements there but that's certainly not what it's about she's just trying to get home that's pretty much the the biggest she's not necessarily evolving as a person and figuring out her feelings for such and such, and trying to develop, you know, she's just trying to get home and, and beat the bully, more sure, to speak.
1: Shirley Temple, another case where it was just kind of you're in you're kind of enjoying seeing what what they're up to. Little rascals on the on the TV side of things again, you know, just what antics are the little rascals up to this week? You don't really oh, get Alpha Alpha, yeah. You don't really get into into too much beyond that. But uh, a big a big movie that a couple of big movies started to change that then it actually both of them both of them have natalie wood in them and both of them are somewhat different age levels are they one, are in your bracket one of them's in this bracket the other i think it would trend more toward a college age type of movie but sure. i'll get to that one in a minute the, I, I, I know where you're going the first is rebel without a cause uh with james dean with natalie wood and with sal mineo among others, you get a real sense of a if you want a teen angst kind of movie, you start right from Rebel Without a Cause, you know, with you know, James Dean yelling to his parents tearing me apart. You know, you see you see the effects of of parenting, good parenting or lack thereof on on kids and how it leaves some of these youth here in Los Angeles, you know, just struggling to kind of make their way along and find some direction in life and you get that very clearly in in that movie with these kids just kind of trying to find their way more or less as they're struggling through the other, again, more in a coming-of-age sense uh, at an older age, West Side Story. Which, which has again, a
0: remake allegedly still booking for Christmas time with Steven Spielberg, it? who would have thought? Okay. Last I heard is still looking for Christmas, but we'll All see. Right.
1: Yeah, because we talked about that in the Spielberg podcast that we did yeah. a couple episodes ago. But um, West Side Story, more of a college-age, 20-something one. But there you can still see a lot of that we're trying to find our place in the world sense with – with West Side Story and this back and forth that exists between the Jets and the Sharks as they are both trying to to make their way along in New York City and trying to figure out where their place is especially with the Sharks being immigrants and and coming to coming to America and trying to find their place in in the US I mean they sing about that a little bit with one of their songs There's and you see that play out us. Yeah that you know it's but
0: it's also a modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet you know, forbidden star-crossed yes. lovers. It's just a different kind of take on it.
1: Boy, you want to talk about teenage romance and stuff? Yeah, you could go as far back as Shakespeare and, and sure. that story.
0: But you know, even in even in Romeo and Juliet, you know, they teenagers weren't their own culture. You know, they just weren't—at least not in the public lexicon. They weren't. You know, I'm sure kind of undercover. We were supposed to be, you know, good, but we can sneak away and do. Baz
1: Lorman tried to change that up, though, with Romeo plus yeah, Juliet. Yeah,
0: but it was set much more modern. Correct, you know, too. But, you know, when teenagers did exist. But they kind of slowly, gradually come into their own. And generally, teenage movies were written by people that, you know, at some point were teenagers. But you wonder how much of a teenager they were, particularly when the era was that they grew up. It wasn't until you started getting people that had gone through the 50s and 60s when teenagers were actually a thing that started to be able to write for teenagers in a way that resonated with teenagers
1: to a level that had never been seen before. So why did John Hughes work so well then? In, in your estimation, because I've seen 16 Candles. I've not seen all of The Breakfast Club and seen it all the way through. So I, I've seen Ferris Bueller as well. Why did John Hughes resonate so well? Because those are three movies that are very closely tied together with the eighties with sure. the 80s feeling of each of them. But why did each one stand out in its own way, and why did he seem to have a good pulse on, on the teen experience? If you're asking
0: me, I think uh, I think one of the things is that it was on their level. It wasn't preachy. They weren't even trying to come up with a moral, and. Uh, you know, in some cases, maybe yes, the, the the oddball girl, you know, conforms, so to speak, by the end of the movie to team up with Emilio Estevez. I'm talking about Ali Sheedy's character. Um, you know, so, but it wasn't preachy. At the same time, it really kind of scratched raw the problems, and just kind of left it at that, almost like a therapy session, which they almost have in the movie. They're all sitting around talking about what the problems are and what got them all sent to detention. And this is what's wrong with you. This is what I think you. And they're friends that would never be friends. And they kind of admit that once this detention is over, they probably won't be friends again. You know, this is a one-time deal, so to speak. And it really kind of put things on their level. It's very funny. It's also very poignant. And very. It's a dramedy, if, you, if it's anything. Yeah. But it's a classic, and it captures the era, and it's teenage angst was the thing everyone thought teenagers are ah, They're carefree and they've got this they've got big problems and this doesn't necessarily come up with a solution but it definitely lays bare in the cases of these people one from each demographic so to speak at a typical american high school lays out their problems
1: i think that's a good way of looking at it from all that i know of those movies i think you've i think you got it summed up pretty well there but each movie did that a little bit differently mm-hmm. um like sixteen candles, I I did watch that one. It's been a long, long time since I've seen it. That's that's more of a trying to figure out who you are kind of movie, right? That's what, that's what that teenage point. is. Yeah. That's what your twenties are.
0: Yeah. You know, Whereas your...
1: with Breakfast Club is maybe evaluating some of the the problems that each were dealing with. Sixteen Candles was like trying to figure out figure yourself out kind of movie, right? Yeah. Is, I think is, that, is a good way of looking at it?
0: Yeah. You know, if you're gonna look at it like say the westerns. A breakfast Club is going to the town. You got all these different kind of things demographically represented. 16 candles, you are the wagon train, you know. So it's all about Molly Ringwald's character on her what's supposed to be her big important day. She really wants this one guy. He doesn't know she's alive. Nobody seems to remember it's her birthday, but by the end of the movie, she gets everything she wants. It does become her special day. She she does land the the guy of her dreams. It's got a good happy ending on it and it is I mean, take whatever message you want away from that. But the way that she gets there, it's dramatic. It's also funny. It's very poignant, and it could speak to anybody, guys as well. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I think Pretty in Pink is probably my least favorite John Hughes movie. Maybe okay. only The Lonely. That's not that great a movie either, and it's certainly not a teen movie. But it was a movie that it spoke to most people and whatever you needed it to speak to you about. It was pretty much there. Yes, you are special. Could be a message you could take from this. You know, don't let you don't let the day beat you down. Keep going. You know, it's it was hope. It was a ray
1: of light at the end of a very long, dark, confusing teenage tunnel. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. As Dave and I are chatting today about teen movies and coming of age movies as well, kind of lumping them in together. Now Ferris Bueller is a little bit different because you do get some some serious themes that that come under the surface a little bit more but there is such a there is such a surface of of fun and carefreeness to the teenage years that I think John Hughes leans much more into with that movie. I mean, that movie it's just it's just pure I don't know, fun. teen teen fun teen indulgence in a good way like of just let's get out there and live life a little bit and just kind of take opportunities as they come along some of the that's what some of the phrases that and some of the memorable quotes that Matthew Broderick says throughout the movie that that kind of resonate with that while also trying to contend with well there's still there's still some important things that you've got to consider within your life you can't just float through it but He sure wants to try to.
0: Yeah. I wasn't the popular kid in high school, but Ferris clearly rules his high school. And he does it in a way that not I mean, I can't say this is the case with everybody across the board because clearly it's not. But in some cases, the popular people are popular because they're really friendly to everybody and you kind of want to be their friend. But how many – for every one of those, there's usually a counterpoint where somebody that's popular is, you know – Johnny Lawrence and Karate Kid was the popular kid, but he was, clearly he was a, a pain in the butt. You know he was he was a word that I can't say even on a podcast. You you know there's so much to dislike about him, but for some reason he's popular because he's got the money, he's got the girl, or he's got the whatever. You know the the guy that rules the school usually is the one you want to see beat up at the high school prom, and right. in a lot of teen movies that's what you see. But Ferris Bueller. Is friends with everybody. In fact, his best friend is yeah. kind of a loser in a way. You know, come on, we're going to have fun. I'm going to drag you along and you're going to be popular with me whether you want to or not in a way. And, uh, you know, they couldn't be more different from one another, but they have a good friendship. And maybe that came yeah. from, you know, Matthew Broderick and, uh, and, oh, I can see his name, Alan Ruck in real life were friendly with one another. They'd work together in various different, you know, Broadway shows and stuff and they were buddies already, and that translated onto the screen and maybe that had something to do with it where otherwise you'd find it almost unbelievable that this really popular kid and this, you know, scared of everything and can't is just too mousy that they would ever connect in real life. But they do and they make it work and Ferris is a guy that he might push you out of your comfort zone, which I'm sure Cameron resents He's the kind of guy you'd everybody would be attracted to. I don't mean, you know, romantically or physically or sexually, but I mean you just you want to be around people right. that have that kind of magnetism to them, and Ferris is one of those
1: guys. One of the big quotes that I was kind of referencing earlier, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. So even there's things like that where as he's just kind of going about his day off where you get little tidbits like that that are like Hey, you know what? That works really well. This isn't just a guy playing hooky. This is a philosopher playing hooky And a he's a deep
0: bit. kid. I mean, I I grew up in that era, and I don't remember quoting the Beatles, but he is through the movie. There was a lot of kids in my era that, you know, the Beatles were something that our parents listened to.
1: They're dancing and, to Twist and Shout in the a middle of a parade.
0: Sure. I mean, I would you know, at that point, who wouldn't have come up with, say, Guns and Roses, which were the new hot, cutting-edge thing. But he's bringing things back from the past. So you didn't have a whole lot of kids back in that era digging things up. He even quotes John Lennon. I don't believe in the Beatles. I believe in me. I don't believe in isms. What 16-year-old or however old he is, he's 18 I think in the movie, is quoting isms or even knows what an ism is. You know, it's just he's clearly deeper, but he knows how to have fun. He's just as exceptionally well-rounded, knows how to get into trouble, but is even better at getting out of trouble.
1: They gave me a car. They gave me a computer. Go figure. So we have those those John Hughes movies of of the eighties, which were really, I mean, all of them in their own ways were just They're their massive. own subgenre. Yeah, their own subgenre, and yet they were massive tentpoles for for the teen movie genre. But there were other movies in the eighties that oh, that sure. also played that kind of role too. Although some of them leaned a little bit more the comedic route, right? Yeah, but also there were some that, you
0: know, one that I was thinking of that is not a comedy. It's a straight drama. It was called My Bodyguard. Adam Baldwin is in it. Matt Dillon is in it. And it really is about a kid being bullied. So he hires an older kid that the rumor is he killed somebody and he's going to be my bodyguard. And the whole movie ends in a big double fight at the end. It's a drama all the way through, but it's one that you don't walk out feeling like ah big breath fresh air i mean even the breakfast club it just got its dark down moments too but you walk out feeling better about yourself my bodyguard has got a, a definitely a fandom around it but it just is a different kind of movie it came out in the early 80s maybe 82 something like that uh and it just it's its own kind of a thing it's got a message it's got something else but who's going to hire a bodyguard honestly and encourage violence. You could look at it that way, where the only solution is to fight. And sometimes you do need to fight. And that's a big thing with teenagers. I mean, who in high school either didn't get through high school without getting into a fight, or watch a fight, or numerous fights. And that was something that always just kind of repelled me in a way. Um, got in plenty myself, but uh, that's, its own, that's its own thing. Yeah. But you know, that's not the message that I want to take away from. The teenage movies. You want to find a way to be entertained into navigating the rocky, rocky, rocky waters of teenagehood and find a fun way to do it. And John Hughes nailed it. My bodyguard does a fine job with it, but it's its its own thing. I, I can't, maybe the, the hard part about teen movies, put your finger on it exactly. I can't put my finger on exactly why I'm entertained by it, but if I never see it again, it'll be okay.
1: What about Fast Times at Ridgemont High? That's one I have not seen. But that's another 80s style
0: teen movie oh, as yeah. well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. This you know, but here's the story behind that. So, Cameron Fry, writer director, he's also done Almost Famous. He's also done say anything. He's, he's been around. He was, I don't remember how old he was at the time, but he was in his early 20s and he was writing for magazines, which is what Almost Famous is about. He was, you know, basically like a 2-year-old writing for Rolling Stone following a band around as a young kid. I mean, he's not too, I was exaggerating. He goes back to an American high school in real life, writing about his experiences going back to high school as a 20 some year old undercover, and that's the basis of what Fast Times at Ridgemont High was about and the mall culture, and, of course, this is out on California, so you've got Sean Penn, of all people, Spicoli, Oh, dude. Oh. And you watch Sean Penn in any other movie and how intense he is and right. looks just perennially grumpy all the time. And Completely then you watch Spicoli.
1: On the opposite end of the spectrum. Go watch yep. him in
0: Mystic River and then go watch Fast Times. You're like, that's the same guy. What? No. Talk about extreme range. <laughs> Holy moly. But, uh, but it's really. It's it's not a real deep movie, but at the same time it is observational? Yeah, very much so. And it's got a good cross cut, again, of all the the subgenres. Wanting a girl, but your buddy sneaks in and, and gets her first, but you know, kind of does it poorly. And it deals with some deep issues, though, too. But at the same time, it deals with them in a way that is uh, almost like passing by in a car, it felt like to me, where they're there. You're looking out the window, but it only gets it only sinks in so deep unless you want it to. So it deals with things like teen pregnancy and acceptance and and other things as well. It, it's it's a good movie. In a lot of ways, it's a more comedic version of, say, Breakfast Club. It's very different, but it's it's fun. And it had a lot of stars that were on their way up that would go on to big things like Phoebe Cates and Judge Reinhold and and some others. It didn't quite make it the rest of the way
1: really quick before we jump into the 90s we could even take a step back a little bit further it's funny whenever i see high schools performing this musical because it's it's high school essentially of a time gone by and yet it's also a very dressed up impression of high school from a time gone by and i'm talking about greece as well because that's another one that again it it focuses in on high school tropes and yet it's such a it's such a dressed-up version of those tropes, like really leaning in hard to the the greaser attitude and an idea of decades going by, really with with that whole thing. Um, and but also some of the, do you go with the crowd or do you not? That theme comes comes out pretty pretty clearly throughout Grease, and by the end of the movie, I and by the end of that that whole that whole play and stuff, I look at Olivia Newton-John's character and I'm like. She sold out. She sold out. <laughs> essentially, that's how I feel sometimes when I watch that.
0: Well, John Travolta did also at some point. He went all preppy at some point. You know. Well,
1: it's true he did. So, yeah. it, but
0: you know, the, the nostalgia craze comes in twenty-year cycles. So, Grease came around in the '70s, and it's an ode to the '50s, which got right. really big in the in the '70s between American Graffiti and Happy Days, and then came Grease. But it is so good and it's almost timeless, even though it's clearly stamped into the 50s. It's all about nostalgia, even if the 50s was before your time. I was born way after the 50s. But in a way, it speaks to me, too, because there are some universals and even the nostalgia of the way it used to be. You know, even if you weren't around when that's the way it used to be, yeah. you're aware to some degree that, oh, I kind of would have loved to have gone to the malt shop. Well, they don't really have malt shops anymore, <laughs> you know? Right. But, but it, you kind of wish they did.
1: But people who are watching it at the time, they're like, it's it's an ode to times gone by. Yeah, yeah. but
0: it's also, it, it's hard to describe why it is, but it's got something contemporary to it, too. I can't describe it's why that is. It's got to be the music. Oh, it's got to be the music, which is fantastic. Uh, And And the
1: magnetism of the characters and the people playing them in the movie version especially, yeah.
0: They nailed it. I mean, you got an amazing cast, and you've got a lot of uh, old folks like uh, Sid Caesar, who was just amazing back in the 50s from the show of show, and he shows up as the gym teacher. He's a comedic legend. He and Mel Brooks changed comedy in a lot of ways. So you're seeing folks from before. You're seeing folks that were on their way up, and Olivia Newton-John at that time already had a pretty good singing career going, which would really get kicked in the butt following Grease, and obviously John Travolta, uh, that really got him going too, along with Welcome Back, Cotter, and he had a hell of a good career too. Uh, Grease is just one of those all-time classic teen movies that I think you could put on today, and and the kids would love it. Maybe not even knowing why. I don't see a life like this in the
1: movie in real life, but by goodness, what a great movie. Right, maybe, maybe a reminder of those times. It's not such a bad thing no. as far as like, for entertainment purposes. But, but it's yeah.
0: extremely sterilized, too. You know, if you get a rivalry yes. with the other gang, almost like West Side Story, people die in West Side Story. Nobody dies in Greece, but anything, even the stuff that would be dangerous, like the car race, people get killed in those, but not in Greece. You know that it's somehow a safe environment where, almost like the movie Pleasantville, not, things don't burn in Pleasantville. Nothing burns then why do you have a fire department? You know, it's it, it's safe. It's a it's it's there's no sharp edge to anything. You know that it's a safe environment. You know you're going to make it through okay. Everyone in the first reel is going to make it to the last reel of the movie. They have a big sign off farewell. But
1: yeah, if the '80s were dramas that had elements of comedy included with them, as far as teen movies and coming of age movies, I think the '90s leaned more into the comedic while still having the dramatic be be a piece of what made them successful. Because sure. I, I, I've watched a lot of 90s teen movies, and that's just kind of the general feeling that I get. And it was a good decade for teen and coming-of-age movies and like really entertaining ones that, that came along. My favorite ones are from the 90s, my personal favorite ones, with the, the variety of them that came along. You can... You can pick any one of them from that time, and it's like, hey, there's there's something to take away from this. Even when I look at some of the people who are in those movies, too, it's like, wait, that, that person was in that movie? Or, hey, that person was in the, You see some of those, too. Like, Ethan Embry seems to be in, like, almost every one of them, or almost all of them like whether he's in that thing you do which is more again on the college side of things or you see him in can't hardly wait which is that bridging of the gap between those two um, or you've got these up and comers who who burst onto the scene with some of these movies like Alicia Silverstone and Clueless and or just just about anybody in any of these movies Paul Walker in a couple of it pops up in a couple of them a few times um the 90s were a good time for yeah, teen movies, some really know, good ones.
0: Amy Heckerling directed Clueless and she'd also directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And she she was probably she and John Hughes seemed to have their finger
1: right on it. Yeah, Clueless and, Clueless is especially hysterical because it's almost a parody of the genre or yeah. they they lean super super hard into some of the the expected tropes of the teen movie genre. And they lean extra hard into it to where it becomes almost nonsensical yeah. or hard to believe, but it's so it's so charming and so funny that you can't help but laugh. Whether it's um, whether it's uh, Alicia Silverstone's uh, character, who suddenly I am blanking on, Cher. Uh, yeah, share share Horowitz stepping up in front of the class and giving the worst speech ever, but the class is just applauding like crazy, and and her teacher is just like. What? Everyone is now can't, dumber
0: for having heard this. Right. I award you no points.
1: Can't believe it. Yeah. And then Cher, like Cher is the most popular person in school, and yet she really wants to help people too, almost to a point where like she is, to borrow the movie f- title, clueless about how she's going about doing it, but it works in most cases. Like it, it's, it's it, you can't believe what you're watching, but at the same time, you can't help but laugh and smile at it because it just works so well. Yeah. You know, and
0: one of the things that I love about those movies is that they're very much products of their time. You know, just stick with Clueless and Fast Times. Both, one is very much early 80s. The other one is very much mid-90s. But you can watch those now in 2020 and while, yeah, some of it is dated and it's almost like a time capsule, well, why doesn't she just, you know, why don't they just make a phone call on a cell phone? They weren't cell phones then. You know, certainly not smartphones. You couldn't look stuff up like that. It just didn't happen. You know, the fashion, the terminology, but there's also things about them that are universally true. That even if the the crest of the wave that is pop culture waves through, what is underneath is constant and universal all the way through. It's just the way that it's dealt with, the way that it looks, the way that kids interact, but still very much the same but different. So there's universal truths, but they're
1: also time capsules of the time that they were made. I'm just glad that Donald Faison is also a universal constant between a couple of those (laughs) because he pops up as as uh, Stacy Dash's boyfriend in uh, Clueless and then he's also in the band in Can't Hardly Wait. I I could not believe that. After watching Scrubs here earlier this year, I couldn't believe when I saw that he was in both movies. Have you like, never seen Scrubs before this year? No. Oh, I'll
0: loan it to you. I love that show. No,
1: I've I've seen it all that, or okay, good. almost all of it. That skip d- the last season. Didn't watch it. Don't let uh, you know when didn't they watch when it. they finished the next to last so. season,
0: stop it right there. But
1: again, he was another one of those guys who was a constant in those movies popping up and you you talk about consistencies some of the people who who pop up in some of them um or or some of the the teen and child actors who pop up um the uh, i forget her name but the girl from clarissa explains all oh melissa joan hart melissa joan hart that's right she pops up then as the yearbook girl and can't hardly wait it's like Are you kidding me? She's in this? I think every young
0: actor in Hollywood that was not in the middle of something, and even those that were, like Melissa Joan Hart, I think she showed up for like two days of filming because she was filming uh, whatever the show was, probably Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But she showed up for a weekend to do filming, and that was it. Right. Because that's all she could do. But everybody is in it, whether they kind of really caught on or didn't. I mean, everybody shows up in that. Charlie Corzmo, who's a Minnesotan, by the way, who is the young boy in uh, "What About Bob?" and in Dick Tracy, um, who's now, I think, actually like he was the
1: young boy in Dick Tracy. Yeah. Wow.
0: So Did he's done with that. acting because he's, he's like a genius. He's like Microsoft Junior. I can't call him Junior now because probably in his forties now. But still, it was everybody was in it to some degree. It was it was really something. It's fun to see those people come through. It's fun to see the actors. It's fun to see the projects. But all those that are really done, even not all that well, have something that resonates with the actual instances of being a kid coming of age or working through those very difficult waters.
1: Yeah, because getting back to more of the drama side, that's where 10 Things I Hate About You is one that continues to to really stand out and has stood the test of time really well, well in that's that way.
0: The modern retelling of a Shakespeare story. I think *The Turning of the Screw*. If I'm not taming mistaken. of the shrew. T- of the shrew. Sorry, that's T- turning right. Turning of the screw, taming of the shrew. One yep. rhymes. <laughs> yeah, be-
1: yeah. It's it's a modern retelling of that where you you have um, these two sisters and the older who's who's played by uh, Julia Stiles. Um, she has to be dating for the younger who's very popular to finally get to that point where she can be allowed to date. And some of the reasons for, but the older is just this, this loner super cynical and jaded, um, and just kind of does her own thing. And she's a, she's a tough girl too. Um, but there are reasons for that that get fleshed out throughout the movie, and then and then you got the enigma that is Heath Ledger's character in that movie, and it is really interesting to watch that movie back now, especially with Heath Ledger. Then having go watch pa- The Joker, having passed away, but also having watched him be the Joker. Um, uh, it's it's really interesting to watch that that movie back now because knowing those things. But man, Julia Styles and Heath Ledger just make that movie at the center because you start to. Flesh out why their characters are the way that they are and what got them to that point, but they do so in in such a in such a charming way, and with a story that is very familiar if you know if you know that Shakespeare story, um, and you get it all playing out amidst these these other teenage things that are taking place within this movie. But you also have like some very you know some very good side characters too, like Gabrielle Union's character, who's who's friends with. Um, the the younger sister bianca and she's she's just kind of she goes with the crowd she's that go with the crowd kind of person who will just kind of do what's best for her and kind of float along with that that's just one example too you've got you've got the 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 wingman for Joseph Gordon Levitt who's like helping bring him along in in the new school and like help him get used to this is this is how the school is you get some characters like that who pop up but then he's got his own little side story that's going on you get all of that but it centers around two tremendous central characters who as you start to flesh out their story a little bit more who really resonate a little bit plus when you throw in a killer soundtrack or you throw in Heath Ledger singing to, uh, singing to Julia I Stiles. Love you, baby. Exactly, just like that. Um, it, while running away from security in uh, in the the school's incredibly nice stadium that they have, you you've got all of that going on, and you it makes for a really good drama focused movie that also has a lot of funny moments in it.
0: You know, there's. It comes and it goes, and right now I don't see a lot of examples of this being around, not like it was then. And you got to give a shout out. We talk flicks here, of course, but you got to give a shout out to some of what was on TV that dealt with angst and development. Whether it was Party of Five, whether it was Seventh Heaven, whether it was Dawson's Creek, which became yeah. its own big thing. It was the at the time was the WB network, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, But it was the WB Network. It propped that whole thing up and it made stars of its cast, at least at the time. But boy, was that a hot show. And I mean, teens that were roughly around that age, they flocked to it like moths to a flame. It was something and it was a drama show. It had its moments of fun. Um... But, I mean, wow, you got to give a shout-out to a lot of those coming-of-age shows. Dawson's Creek has got to be the beak on the front of that bird.
1: I'll take it a step further, too. Nickelodeon, ABC Family, even later on Disney Channel, with their arrival, you started to get some influence of the shows that would come from there, too. And the movies that kind of got produced out of that, as well, where you've got... You've got those influencing it too, of not only producing these actors, you know, especially Nickelodeon with some of the the actors they produced. Um, another teen movie that I enjoy uh, from a purely comedic standpoint, "She's the Man" with Amanda Bynes. Okay. I mean, she was produced out of out of that run there during the nineties and some of the shows that they did. Whether it was all that or some of the other things that produced some really talented child actors who had a funny bone about them and were really, really funny, clever kids and it started to translate into these movies where you could have the drama side to it but these were kids who also had some natural funny about them and added the humor piece to it as well in in a new way
0: well it definitely became its own kind of mini empire at least for a while it was kind of a flash in the pan but i think it kind of comes and goes yeah but it made superstars out of people like miley cyrus aka hannah montana and uh, hillary duff also she came along and that was the disney side of things where it was all such a, a thing that was it was fun. It was very sweet, but it was also very sterile. You know, a lot of the things in the real world just kind of didn't leak in. Everything was just kind of a Depending problem on the of movie a or the product. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it wasn't always having to deal with the heavy stuff. You could watch uh, Hannah Montana or whatever and walk away feeling like a million bucks. You look
1: at it from the perspective of an adult, Wait, she's pretending to be some wait wait, what? Eh. Well, another good example of that as we start to get into the 2000s was Mean Girls, which an- is another movie that, if you want to put it in the pantheon of top teen movies, Mean Girls is in that category because you start to get that that combination coming back even more. And with Tina Fey putting together a movie like that and being involved, you're going to get that that wit and that humor, and you get a ton of that in that movie. Um, Lindsay Lohan, of course, at the, the center top of, of her that game. Yeah, somebody who came from who came from child acting and was in that that kind of stage of of putting out movies like that that those coming of age movies. But you also get some very real teen issues that that come through mean girls too that as the movie gets into its final third, it goes from being a pretty funny teen movie to, hey, there's some serious things that that need to get fleshed out and dealt with here in this movie, and all of a sudden, they hit you pretty hard at the end of that movie of. Hey, like even that point where they sit down all the girls in the school and they're like, "Listen, we have got to deal with some of these things." Like you see that pretty, pretty upfront and in your face. Oh, absolutely!
0: It's you know and that's one of the nice things that make those teen movies so good. Like Mary Poppins said, "Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down." If you can put a little laugh in with the heavy stuff, yeah, that's what makes a lot of those movies go. Super bad would definitely be a coming of age. That is, it's a raunchy, hard R comedy, but it deals with the friendship, and it deals with the big changes in life. You know, my kiddo is just about ready to start school. He's four. You know, this will be the first fall that he starts some degree of school. At some point, you go to the change. You're going to know everybody for the next 18 years that are all in the same district, and then it all changes when you go to college and everything changes. And bad is about that. I'm going to lose my friend because he's going to one school and I'm not going to school, or I'm going to a different school and then when college comes to an end, I don't know anybody that I went to college with that didn't have some degree of depression because everything changes now. You want to go to do something somewhere, you just give a holler down the hallway and 15 people show up and off you go. But then they start getting into relationships, they start yeah. having families and kids, and all of a sudden that circle of friends quickly, rapidly shrinks. I mean, I, I we're doing this podcast from a small town in northern Minnesota called Bemidji, Minnesota, which is where I went to college, but I grew up in the Twin Cities. After college, I would drive by these places. I still see the buildings. They're all there, but it's not the same. Most of my friends from college lived in other towns. They moved away. They moved to other places. Some of them are still around, but majority of them are not. It's not the buildings so much. It was the people that filled those buildings, and we are at the top of that pinnacle, which is only going to erode as fast as it builds up, and that's the way it goes. The buildings and the place remains the same, but the classes come, the classes go, the faces look familiar, then they disappear, and they're gone. It And it's almost a depressing act to it. And Superbad kind of dealt with that in a way in a very bizarre one-night scenario where we're going to go out, we're going to have some fun, and we're going to do this, and then it's going to be great in the fall, except it's not. And so it was... It, a, it definitely was one of the first hard-R comedies that came along in recent years. I think Superbad
1: represented a a shift in in teen movies. I have not seen Superbad, by the way. But just watching what has come after Superbad, I, there are, I think, two two divergent paths that a lot of teen movies have gone on. The first is in the vein of super bad. They they've become hard R comedies, for better or for worse. They've become hard R comedies in a lot of senses. Where it, you'll even even with younger kids, we've seen some movies here in recent years where there's younger kid movies that are Hard R, which is kind of hard to believe that that we've reached that point. But there I'm are the brain fart. What
0: was that one that just came out like a year ago, two years ago? Yeah.
1: Um I, I know what the one you're thinking about. I saw of, it and I can't I, even remember what it was but called. But I can't think of the name of it. Yeah. That's that's kind of where I'm going with that. That's the one path that we've kind of gone on with comedic kids coming of age movies. The other is we we have a lot more, I think, straight up dramas. Um, the perks of being a wallflower is one that that immediately comes to mind. Um, a lot more of those dramatic ones that that have been coming here in recent years. Uh, Lady Bird is another one too. Even Boyhood, if you want to, if you want to venture into Boyhood too, a lot more straight up dramas dealing with coming of age. Um, and I, I think we've gone on the on those two divergent paths. You don't really have that charming, funny kind of direction. Quite as often anymore. There's there's a lot more. We're leaning into the drama, or we're leaning into the uh, the more edgier comedy is, yeah. is where things have gone these days.
0: I'm not seeing a. I'm not saying that there aren't, but I'm not seeing a lot of middle ground. Not that teen movies draw me like they used to, because I'm not a teen anymore. But either you're going. They just did another version of Little Women not long ago. They got great reviews. Stranger Things. It's got some moments of funny, but it's also you know surrealistic fantasy drama. Or you go the hard R comedy. You know, that middle ground that was walked so well by Amy Heckerling and John Hughes, I'm not really seeing a lot of that these days anymore. So it's either sugar or heavy. It's not a spoonful of sugar to make the heavy go down. And that's that's something that I kind of miss a little bit. I think that there are areas maybe on TV that cover that. But it seems to be, especially in this day and age, and maybe the way we're finding it now is on social media, where you've got challenges facing kids nowadays that just were not a factor at all. Social media and internet and all of that, now on top of it, once you go home from school when I was a kid, that's it. Unless one of those kids that was lived in your neighborhood or walked by your house, that was it. You were free for the day. But now, social media, you go home and it's all still right there with you because now someone's going to put something on social media about the day or something about you or whatever. And your, your guard is up all the time. Or it has to be Or you do something stupid and the cameras catch you and it becomes viral and everybody knows about it. Where before, I mean, Jodie Foster one time had said it. She was a very well-known child star when she got started. Had there been the social media and the internet and all that kind of attention and paparazzi and stuff in her era like there is now, she wouldn't have the reputation that she does now. She was a smart gal, went to Yale, um, but she went out and cut loose. Sure she did, but when Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan did it, You know, For better, for worse, it's all right there in front of everybody to see and judge and Mm -hmm. everything else. Not that you're going to let them get away with it either, but how different things would have been. And that was a whole world that I didn't have to navigate. Just didn't exist when I was a kid. But as my kiddo gets older and goes through it, or whatever social media will evolve into, that has worked its wealth almost irrevocably into the
1: tapestry of teenagers. Quick sidebar before we wrap up. And I I think you'll appreciate this one as a horror film fan. I love that East Coast horror. Horror, Horror. yeah. Let's go watch a horror movie. Why are (laughs) teens and young adults always getting in these horror film situations? How does this happen that it's always them at the camps, in the towns? Why is it always them who are the targets of these horror issues that get dealt with in in some of these classic horror films
0: because they don't work as a movie as any basic plot without dumb people doing dumb things. So dumb I'm, kids. I'm, are not, the I'm not saying kids it. are dumb. I'm just saying kids, <laughs> clearly, and I can own up to my own failings in this realm, are much more prone to make the stupid, ill-informed decisions. And if you you hear something rattle in the bush, well, don't go to the bush. Something's in there that might have teeth or a knife. And these kids and are like, oh, go, go, go to the, the bush. other way. What was that, Richard? Richard, I lost the back of my earring. I think I'll go scour the forest for the back of my earring. Like that's going to happen while calling out the name for someone that was killed two reels earlier, Richard? Rich, you know they're not going to live past this scene, right? Who's going to do that in real life? Why wouldn't you just pick up the phone call and make a cell phone call?
1: Whether it's Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween—I mean, you go through any of those. Those scream. You've got all these. Oh my gosh, it's, it's fun when you get it comes somebody up so often
0: when when you get somebody that's fairly smart but they find themselves in a situation where I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that, don't do that and they that, that's it's over. I would love to come up with if I ever had the time and I never will, write a smart horror movie that's, you know, it's in the realm of the classics that we love, but for whatever reason The smart options aren't options. Well, just pick up your cell phone and make a call. You can't. Why not? Well, because the storm knocked out all the cell towers, and they're down, and the internet is down, and it happens in the wake of a storm, and everyone's in a blackout. You know, it basically knocks you back into the 20th century. Well, why don't you run to the neighbor's house? Remember, it burned down. Oh, that's right. And you live in a rural area like here where it might be three acres before you get to the next house. Or get
1: boxed in by a smart villain. Have an exceptionally smart villain, too. Although, in a lot of those cases, those are more thriller-type movies rather than horror. I mean, horror, it's... You've got the... You've got these... these why not both? Why not both? Why yeah. not both? Because sometimes with these horror movies that we're mentioning, you've got these these incredibly brutal... Uh, killers or villains that you have and you have these incredibly dumb victims who are dealing with this who get themselves into those situations although sometimes that's part of the the story isn't it is the They they try to use it as a guise for these are consequences of dumb decision-making that they get themselves into those positions. That happens a lot, it seems. Well,
0: they always like to come up with the thing where, well, actually those were morality tales. If you have sex or do drugs or any of these things you're not supposed to do as a teenager, you're going to die. That may have been the case because that's what teenagers did. And so, well, the teenagers are the, the cast here, so if the the killer's going to do his thing, that's what's going to happen. None of the filmmakers, at least initially, maybe later, they kind of played around with that. Scream clearly made that one of the rules to survive a horror movie, so to speak. But that was never the intention. You know, Friday the 13th, well, we're going to go out and we're going to smoke some weed, we're going to have some sex, we're going to drink and whatever – and that's that's what's going to make us die because the person that always lives is the is the virgin of the group, so to speak, the pure of heart, the pure of soul. They'll make it through. Right. But then, when people started to realize that that sort of unintentionally became the rule, so to speak, then you get movies like Scream where we're going to have fun with that, or even more so, the person that you can look at up, oh, they're clearly going to make it through the movie. They might be the first to go. Like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought that, you know, the rules are all bent and broken here. Yep. So there's ways around that. But, you know, I don't know if I know a lot of coming-of-age But that might be kind of fun to throw something in. Steven, let's sit down and have an important talk. Run! You know, that might be kind of fun to mix that together. That
1: might be a combination that hasn't happened yet, but could be fun. Dave, I think we've got a screenplay in the works for you here, especially given your love of horror. I I think we've got something that might be working here. I've
0: I've thrown out a couple of ideas. Just give me a shout-out in the credits. You guys can take it from there. Thanks, Dave, for the idea.
1: Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. They've got movies going again. Yeah. They are open and uh, they've got the popcorn working right now. And new movies are starting to return on Highway 2 just down from the airport. And beyond even that, quick shout
0: out, you know, not that you want to talk about other theaters. I hope that, you know, the Bemidji Theater brings back the old Amigo outdoor screen when they were the Amigo theaters. They had an outdoor drive-in movie theater there are some of those around the state in the region too and i understand i would love to go see a movie in the theater i'm just not while this is going on it will come to an end and i will be back but until then support your theater go get a drink go get a popcorn but you know there's also some drive-in theaters there's one north of Austin. the drive i'm trying to think what's called the north view or whatever it's called worth checking out the starlight i think it is uh i'm probably wrong about that too but go check those out, too. Maybe some more current movies or throwback movies, but in a fun way. Sky, what was the name of the drive-in movie theater you went to see? Skyview. Skyview. There we go. Sky North View. of Foster. There so go. there we go. Yep. So worth checking out. And I hope that maybe when the economy is better, maybe Bemidji Theater will say, let's put the drive-in back together. That'd be fun. That would sure be nice. Even if you just It'd paint cool. the back of the building white and get the projection booth and go on, you know, that, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes.
1: Good episode today, uh, fun to talk about some teen movies, coming of age as well, uh, maybe you've got some ideas. Again, like I said, I only got to just watch Clueless for the first time like a few months ago and I couldn't believe that I had never seen the movie to that point because it was hysterical, but there's there's just something about that genre. You Whether you, you appreciate a John Hughes style one more or you like some of the 90s ones that came along, whatever it may be or even if you like one going a lot further back like back to the days of something like rebel without a cause there's something out there for you, and you that sums up those teen years
0: and lots that we could have touched on ET is a coming of age movie that yeah. we just you know kind of brushed past the goonies yes you know yes the goonies lots absolutely. of them lots of them but you know just kind of breaking down the tropes of what make it go hey speaking of which your bracket what was uh what's on it's still underway and going right now so it hasn't reached a conclusion what else is on the on the bracket there oh boy uh, what was it?
1: not ranker what was it uh it was the ringer the ringer there yeah that's go. the bracket that's where they're doing the bracket right now i've well i closed it what are it some out. that are
0: still going and what are some surprising upsets knocked out
1: well they they just had um in the opening round, they put 21 Jump Street as a lower seed against Can't Hardly Wait as a three seed. And 21 Jump Street won. Actually, it was a four seed, was Can't Hardly Wait. And 21 Jump Street beat it. I was extremely disappointed. I don't agree with that one. Extremely disappointed. No, they're with, both
0: great movies. Don't get me wrong. I loved 21
1: Jump Street, but it was uh, – I mean, was it a teen movie, sort of? Yeah. Can't Hardly Wait. That is a teen movie. And and a really entertaining one too. Oh yeah, That's... with a, a lot of great names in it as well. Um, you, you, and and some people who still they were in the early stages of their career. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Seth so, Green front and center, and he's yeah. still going more of a voice these days. But oh, he's absolutely yeah. a force.
1: Uh, they had Varsity Blues was in there as well. Yeah. Uh, that was up against Rebel Without a Cause, American Graffiti, Say Anything. Um, Back to the Future, Spider-Man: Homecoming was was considered yeah, in there that, too. That's definitely, yep. Uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, She's All That, the Freddie prince Jr. one as well. Uh, from back in the '90s. Um, and who was who was the girl in the, in that one? Um, she's she's the one. She's all that. Oh oh, uh she's from Minnesota too. Um. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook. Yeah, there we go. I was just about to get it pulled up there. Yeah, Rachel Lee Cook. That's right.
0: Hey, speaking of another Minnesota good one that kind of came and went, but it made an impact. Filmed in Minnesota, it's called from the mid '90s, called Angus. And uh, Jeremy Vanderbeek from uh, from Dawson's Creek is the bully bad guy in it. But it's a coming oh. of age story, definitely. Okay, Ariana Richards, who is was the little girl from the first Jurassic Park movie,
1: she's in it. Uh, it's well worth checking out. They've also got, of course, Ferris Bueller. That was a that was a top seed, a number one seed. Napoleon Dynamite was in there too. That was a
0: popular movie. I didn't like.
1: Yeah, I I was entertained by it. My family, we we crack up about Napoleon Dynamite. Um, R- Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Friday Night Lights was another one okay. too. Um, House Party. The Karate Kid oh, in yeah. there. Yeah, The Breakfast Club. To all the boys I've loved before. What one is that? I never I think, heard of that one. Is that a newer one? I think that might be a newer one. Okay. Um, it follows the craft uh, election, Harry Potter. Um, you could you could yeah. pick out a, a couple of different Harry Potter ones. Scream, Twilight, uh, kids, eighth grade, Carrie. Yeah, that's coming Carrie. of age. Carrie. Oh yeah, that's that's coming of age in a Horror sense.
0: Well, didn't we just say that there aren't a lot of coming-of-age horror movies? Well, there's an exception well, right there.
1: Exactly. Um, let's see. Uh, Spring Breakers, Cruel Intentions, uh, the faculty, Rushmore, Chronicle is in there. Heathers, uh, blockers. Let's see, Grease, Risky Business. Can't hardly wait in 21 Jump Street, uh, like I mentioned, American Pie in there oh, absolutely. too yeah another another one of those bridging the gap ones um the outsiders certainly absolutely is yeah. another one that counts yeah dazed and confused perks of being a wallflower super bad dope adventureland can't buy me love uh boys in the hood brick juice romeo plus juliet um easy a the virgin suicides uh clueless and the kissing booth juno book smart dirty dancing i wonder if red dawn would count as a teen coming I think, of age movie. yeah red dawn definitely would red dawn is not in this bracket but i think i think red dawn definitely i, don't, I wouldn't call it a teen movie but it's got
0: one leg in that kind of is yes you know patrick swayze is you i don't know what we're gonna do man becomes the leader you know they're all right. coming of age
1: i mean I, they they basically they're they're in their school when this whole thing starts true. so i mean I'd, I'd say that counts yeah she's the man uh mean girls ghost world bring it on yeah. an education ladybird the princess Diaries yeah, yeah I I grew up with a lot of the princess Diaries I I have a sister so but but that was a, still a really funny movie anyway for even me as a guy that was a that and was still a movie probably you crack leaving a lot at. of them
0: out you know it's teenagers are their own force to be reckoned with and even younger than teenagers even older than teenagers your 20s are all about change who you are when you're 20 versus when you're 30 it's all about change yeah in a lot of ways
1: and then there's uh and then finally pretty in pink and the edge of 17 those were the the last two in there so yeah that's that's the that was the full run but you 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 even came up with one right there that could have been in there with uh With Red Dawn and I think that would certainly qualify as being one, although a very different one It's
0: as much of a teen movie as Back to the Future is, I mean it has elements that yeah it is, but it's also very much not, you know, it's not not a teen movie, but it's not a teen movie you know, but you know what I mean, it's eh, if you really want to be wide open about
1: what qualifies
0: all right, you know. Well,
1: people have got movies now, uh, movie ideas now, in case they needed one. Not
0: every so. Christmas movie needs to be on Hallmark. Sometimes Kevin watches Die Hard two on Christmas, and that's fine too. That yeah, could be its th- own. Kind there of- are
1: there are those people who who look at it that way. That's we, opening your 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 acceptability. We've been over this before, though, with uh, <laughs> Christmas movies. So, all right, all that's, right, that's going to do it for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks, and we will see you at the movies.